0: Riverside Church Podcast. Riverside Church is a community of believers striving side-by-side for the gospel in the greater New Orleans area. For more information about Riverside Church, go to riversidelife.org. turn our Bibles, um, Isaiah chapter 9 is where we are. Over the course uh, of this Advent season, uh, we will be looking at Isaiah chapter 9 every every week. So go ahead and grab your Bibles, Isaiah chapter 9, a familiar passage that I just read to you. Um, and So this morning we begin our Advent series, um, and this means that Christmas is coming, uh, that Christmas is near. In fact, Advent simply means coming and historically we sit here and now between uh, the two advents of our Christ, the, the two comings of Jesus. In this season we anticipate and re-anticipate and celebrate the first advent, the first coming of Christ uh, and hopefully we'll catch a glimpse of the waiting and anticipating and anticipating and hope we have uh, for Jesus' return. How do you anticipate Christmas. How, how, how do you anticipate Christmas? What are some of those ways? What are some of those traditions? What are some of those things that you do in anticipation for Christmas? It's very likely that you started those this very week. How do you feel about folks who start to celebrate Christmas a bit too soon? How do you feel about those people? Are you one of those people? What what is too soon? What is too soon? Is it before Thanksgiving? Is it before December? We're before December. It's not December 1st yet. It's, what, November 27th? Is that what today is? We're not even to December yet, but we're already doing our Christmas series. So is it before December? Is it before Thanksgiving? When is too much to begin to anticipate and celebrating Christmas? How about 700 years in advance? How about that? Is that a little too soon to start anticipating Christmas. Well, to be certain, we can say ever since the Garden of Eden, we were, Eden, we were anticipating the first Christmas with that promise in Genesis 3.15. But for, for our Advent celebrating among us at Riverside Church, we will anticipate and celebrate by considering a prophecy, the one I just read to you, that was announced over 700 years In advance, not just before Thanksgiving, not just before December 1st, but 700 years before Christmas, the people of God had hope and began celebrating the coming of the Christ. And the way we're going to do this is we're going to walk particularly through Isaiah chapter 7 in this very familiar passage that pertains to the Christmas season, a passage that maybe is already near and dear to your hearts, and a passage that I remind you what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 1 uh, verses 10 through 12. Uh, Peter makes this uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit uh, that the prophets knew what they were doing. They, they were clued into this that they were serving a later generation that what the prophets were prophesying about, even though they didn't see immediate fulfillment of that, they knew in passages like Isaiah chapter 9, the prophet Isaiah would know that they were serving a future generation. So 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10 through 12, if you don't believe me, you can write that down and go look at it later, that this was an anticipation for the coming of Christ, particularly what I want us to be looking at, and we're going to get there eventually this morning, but we're going to do some contextual Work so that we fully understand what's going on here. Particularly, the passage, the verse that we'll focus on is verse six. And, and, and let me read read that to you again. For us, to us, a child is born; to us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of peace. This what is a passage that we almost hear echoes of in Luke chapter 2. Do you remember the angels when they appeared, "Fear not, be not afraid, for unto you is born this day for unto you that child that was promised, that wonderful counselor, that mighty God, that everlasting father, that prince of peace, for unto us a child is born, the one promised" in Isaiah chapter 9. Oftentimes, and here's where I want us to get through get to throughout this series that, that oftentimes our understanding of God and maybe even Isaiah chapter nine verse six, um, if you're like me, we'll, we'll kind of drift to the abstract or maybe drift to the knowledgeable that that we know this verse, we understand that it's a prophecy about Christ, uh, but often it's the the nearness of God and and how personal God is to send a son that we that we often miss, and so my hope and prayer hence the sermon series title hope has a name that we will realize how personal this is that god sent his son we know that we have hope and maybe abstractly and and we're knowledgeable that we have hope but i want us to come together this christmas season and come through this advent season together knowing that hope has a name, that hope is personal, that hope is particularly a person. Hope is not an unknown, it's not a situation, it's not an outcome, it's not a job. Hope is a person, and hope has a name, and his name is Jesus, and he is our Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And so that will be our four sermons of Advent today, Wonderful Counselor. Next week, mighty God, everlasting father and prince of peace and see that the hope that we have is in a person Jesus Christ for unto us a child is born let 's go ahead and get some context of Isaiah chapter nine, so we we get the, the full understanding of what 's going on and just the weight of this promise in Isaiah chapter nine. So we want to kind of build up to this birth announcement. We know that after this, there were seven hundred years of build up. But let's go back to a, a, a little more close to the time where this prophecy was given. You'll notice how Isaiah chapter 9 begins. Uh, you'll, you'll hear some of the, the language that the prophet is using here. Language, do you, do you see it here? Uh, you can look in your Bibles. Uh, gloom. There, there, there's anguish. Do you, do you see it there? Look at verse 2. There's darkness. In fact, look at verse 2. There's deep darkness we see words like burden and oppression. There's, there's this rod. There's, there's garments that are rolled in blood. There's this, this oppression. There's war. In fact, this deep darkness is translated into the shadow of death and that the people of God, what they are experiencing with, experiencing when this prophet, prophet speaks in Isaiah chapter nine, what they are experiencing is deep darkness. They are dwelling in the shadow of death. Isaiah chapter 8 verse 22 begins to give us some understanding of why they are in anguish. Isaiah chapter 8 verse 22 says they will look to the earth, but behold the stress and darkness which the prophet acknowledges in Isaiah chapter 9, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness, deep darkness, the shadow of death. There's been this judgment that has been prophesied over the people of God. Here's the condition of the people that are receiving this prophecy. And perhaps you will see it's very relevant to today. You don't have to work very hard to see the relevance of the Scripture today. For the people of God in Isaiah, in the times of Isaiah, the times are very turbulent. They are in the middle of national crisis, They are in the middle of spiritual crisis. They are in the middle of religious crisis. Because of their sin, God has sent enemies to surround them in the form of judgment. And the enemies, particularly the people of Assyria, which was a crooked and twisted and wicked people, they are pressing in and the end seems near. They know the end is near and they see the writing on the wall. And what's more, even though they are being warned by God of the judgment that is to come, the people still refuse to look to God. They're still rebellious. They're still looking around in every which way for hope. And God reminds them throughout Isaiah one through eight of the promise that though their sins are scarlet, you remember this in Isaiah chapter one, though their sins are scarlet, they can be washed white as snow. If you will come to the Lord, if you will repent of your sin, if you will embrace the Lord. In fact, God sent them a prophet Isaiah to tell them this message. Remember Isaiah chapter six? He sees the glory of the Lord. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. The earth is filled with glory Whom will I send, the Lord says. Isaiah says, here am I, send me. And the Lord says, yes, I will send you, but by the way, the people won't listen to you. Can you imagine receiving that commission from the Lord? Yes, you will go declaring the Lord, but the people will not listen, and they will bring judgment upon themselves. So God sends them promises. God sends them a prophet. God tells them the way that they should go, but the people of God continue to choose to lean on the power of the Assyrians, the worldly powers of the time, and the Assyrians will be their downfall and will take them over. So the condition of the people is that they are in turbulent times; they are in times of national crisis; they are in time in in, in times of spiritual crisis, and the people have a great need. The people need hope where will hope be found during this national emergency? Where will hope be found in this spiritual emergency? Will it be found in Assyria, the great power of the time? Or will it be found in other ways? Look at Isaiah chapter 8, what the people do. They're looking for signs and they inquire verse 19 of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter should not a people inquire of their god should they inquire of the dead on the behalf of the living to the teaching and the testimony if they will not speak according to this word is because they have no dawn they need light they need hope they need a dawn They will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and speak contemptuously against their king and their God. And they will turn their faces upward. So you see, continuing, you see the condition of the people, right? Right. God has promised them, God has sent them a prophet, and they look to other sources. They look to Assyria, they look to sorcerers, they look all the ra- around, anywhere but God, and when they see anguish, when they see hunger, when they see difficulty, the only talking they're doing to God is wagging their finger at, the, at God, it says here, and blaming Him for all their distress. So do you see how twisted and turned upside down the people of God are? Do you see how desperately they need a dawn? Do you see how desperately they need the sun to rise upon them? Do you see how desperately they need hope to come to them? Do you see how much they are trapped in darkness? That what they need is they need God to be merciful to them. They need God to step into their dark hearts. They need God to step into their dark land. They need God to step in and say, let there be light. For you are walking in darkness. You are walking in anguish. You are walking in rebellion to the Lord. You're looking everywhere but the Lord. Maybe that's a bit of you this morning. God, would you send a dawn? Would you send hope? Would you break through into my dark heart and say, let there be light? Let me just stop and say that. That's the promise of the gospel, by the way. That's what the Bible says in one of Paul's letters to the Corinthians. He says, God who has let, who has commanded light to shine out of darkness. This is what happens when you're saved. He speaks light into our dark hearts and says, let there be light. Let there be hope. And hope's name is Jesus. This is the great need of the people. As I said, you don't have to work too hard to see the relevance here. Have you ever seen national emergency or national crisis? Have you ever seen spiritual emergency or crisis? Have you ever seen a world that needs hope? Have you have you seen this? (laughs) A world that needs light. You can think of a million examples. And you look at Isaiah chapter 1 through 8, and you see how God has sent them a prophet, and you see how they've denied the prophet. They're not listening to the prophet. They'll listen to everything else, all the sorcerers and the necromancers and all these things. They'll blame God, but they won't listen to God. Thank the Lord I'm not God. Because if I was the father at that point, I would say, forget these people. But we serve a God who is much better than us. He's holy. He's not like us. He's gracious. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in love. And he's good. And so instead of the prophet ending in Isaiah chapter 8 and they will be thrust into into thick darkness, do you see the context here? You know the context of what's going on. Listen to the next point. So we see the context and now we see there is still hope and you only have to get into one word of chapter 9 to see that there is hope. Go ahead and look. Isaiah chapter 9, but, but, but there is hope. It reminds me of the gospel in Ephesians chapter 2, right? We were dead in our sins and trespasses, but God, being rich in mercy. And so do you see the the, the weight of this? Just just one word into Isaiah chapter 9. Do you feel that? But. But the people who are in darkness, the people who are in anguish, there is still hope because God has not finished prophesying. God is not going to renege on his promises. He's not to go, go back on his promise. There is still hope because while we are faithless, God remains faithful in this moment of despair. But there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish for God is rich. In mercy, do you hear that? Do you feel that hope that is ours in our God? Do you feel that? But there will be no more gloom so how, how, how will he do this well well first let's let 's look at this this hope that we have. There will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish in the former times he Brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the Nan of Napht in the land of Naphtali, but in the latter time. So in the former time, a land of contempt it was. But now, verse one, he has made a glory. He made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, the Galilee of the nation. So understand what's going on here. Matthew helps us with this. Matthew chapter four, verses. 12 through 17. I don't re- want to read it. I'm not going to read it to you this morning. You go ahead and look. Matthew chapter 4 verses 12 through 17. When Jesus starts his ministry, this is part of the prophet Isaiah that he quotes, because he is saying that the gospel is going to the nations. So he's saying that, that people of God, not only will grace and mercy come to you, not only will you who walk in darkness, not only will you who, who walk in anguish and despair, not only will light shine upon you, but the glorious way will even come to the Gentiles. This promise is bigger than just the people of Israel. This is a promise for the nations that hope is coming to the nations that every tribe, tongue, people and land will hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and can Receive the hope that is ours in Christ Jesus. This is not just for you, Israel. This is a promise for the nations, just like it was given to Abraham. This is a promise for the nations. This is a promise bigger than you might imagine. So God is promising that I will move you from gloom to glory. That I will move you, do you see, the people who walk in darkness Have seen a great light, verse 2, and those who dwelt in the land of darkness, on them a light has shone. You needed hope. You needed light to shine in the darkness. You needed the Lord who said, let there be light to shine light into your dark hearts. And behold, Israel, and not only Israel, but all the nations, behold, your darkness will become light. For light will shine upon you. the nation will be multiplied. And you have increased its joy. Joy will be multiplied as with harvest. You will experience a harvest. You will experience, you see what it says, the joy as you experience when you divide the spoil of victory. You will experience harvest. You will experience victory even though you don't deserve it. God will break the yoke of your enemies, the yoke of sin, the yoke of shame that lays upon you. He will break it and set you free. And not only you, but all who believe. Not only you, but all who would come to Jesus Christ. Not only you, Israel, but all the nations this, good, this news is for. And what will it be like? Do you, do you see it here in verse 4? Verse Listen to this. So, so we're starting. We're going to see. That's what God's going to do. But how is he going to do it? How is he going to do it? Look at what it says in verse four. It's going to be as on the day of Midian. So so we're still getting some context here, but we're driving to this name, this this son who was born. How how will he do it? Do you remember the day of Midian? Does Gideon ring a bell? Do you remember the day of Gideon where God whittled down his army to some 300 men? And the Midianites were like locusts. They, were, they outnumbered the people of God. But God was showing that in his power, in his strength, that all enemies are laid bare before him. That though Gideon was outnumbered by the Midianites, they simply blew trumpets. And the Lord got the glory for the victory because he took what was weak and showed what the zeal of the Lord could do. And the Lord saying in the same way, I'm going to show you what the power of our God can do. For unto us, verse 6. So there's the context. And be at the day, from from weakness is going to become something mighty. From this weakness, light comes from darkness, and anguish and gloom is no more. Instead of anguish, we trade our anguish and gloom for the joy of the harvest, dividing the spoil. And this promise is for all nations. How glorious! How will this happen? It's on the day of Midian, from weakness. From smallness, the zeal of the Lord will do this. Will he do it by sending a bully greater than Assyria? Someone who has more armies than Assyria, greater worldly power than Assyria? Would the nation, would our world, will people find hope and worldly powers? No. Hope has a name. And it doesn't come like you might expect. Verse 6. For to us, a child is born. I I mean, imagine hearing this for the first time. You're thinking, who are you going to send? What great king? What mighty warrior are you going to send? To us, a child is born. Unto us, a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. Light is coming. Hope is coming. Harvest is coming. Joy is coming. Broken burdens are coming. Broken rods and staffs and yokes. Burdens will be lifted. And God's response is a baby in the manger. One pastor said it like this. He says, God's response to everything that terrorizes us is a child. In a manger, a king like no other, that the might of the Lord will be displayed in humility and his power will be made perfect in weakness. He will change the world and bring hope to the world by becoming like us in every way, yet without sin. The hope of the world is a baby. It's not a bully bigger than Assyria, a bully bigger than all worldly powers, but a humble lamb born to die. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. There is hope, and hope has a name, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And each of these promises, we'll look at Wonderful Counselor here in a moment. Each of these names is a promise to people damaged by sin, Because of sin, we are in darkness, having lost our way, and so he sends us a wonderful counselor. Because of sin, we are powerless, needing God to intervene, and he does, he is mighty God. Because of sin, we are finite and fatherless, desperate for acceptance and love and security, and for unto us is born an everlasting father. And because of sin, we are unable to bring peace to our world, to our homes, and to our very lives, our we're unable to have peace with God, and the zeal of the Lord sends us a son, and his name is Prince of Peace. Humanity was hopeless, and they couldn't seem to get out of their own way. And so God sends us hope. He sends us Christ. He sends us a son. So when we get to Luke chapter 2, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. He is our wonderful Counselor. Let's consider that for the moments we have left. Sin reduces us all to fools, and because of sin, we see the world inside out and upside down. The people of God saw that in Isaiah chapter 8. They didn't know which way to look, and they looked in all the wrong places for hope. Right now, we see through a glass dimly, and we see thing, we don't see things as they truly are, in the garden, we began to listen to a voice Adam and Eve did, and because of Adam and Eve's sin, we too are sinners. In the garden, we listened to a voice other than the voice of God that brought sin and despair into our world. We sought the counsel of the one who brought us sin and darkness. And still today, we do the same thing. We seek counsel from ourselves. We seek counsel from our own hearts. We seek counsel from our own selves trying to be the counselor of our own lives. Whatever's good for you, whatever's right for you, whatever's true for you, we go with. And this only brings us sin and despair. We seek counsel from other sources, just like the people did in Isaiah's age. We seek counsel from other sources other than the Bible and think that somehow that's going to bring us hope and joy and harvest and victory, but it never does. Perhaps we seek counsel from leisure. One of the quotes that I've been mulling around in my mind over over the past month is something I heard recently that we are a culture addicted to leisure but longing for rest. We seek counsel in leisure thinking somehow that's going to bring us hope, but it always lets us down. And so we seek counsel from ourselves, we seek counsel from other sources instead of seeking counsel from the counselor we need, namely the wonderful counselor. Now, now get, get get this is what what the Lord is saying. That he is our wonderful counselor. And yes, this means that he is wonderful that he is exactly what we need, that he is fantastic, he is perfect, he is right. Similar to say, we've had a wonderful meal. It was just right. Everything went according to plan, man. It was wonderful. We had a wonderful time. We had a great time. It's wonderful. He's exactly what they needed. But more than that, more than that, he's a powerful counselor. This word wonderful is a, a miraculous counselor. He understands you. He understands how to help you. And he's actually able to perform the wonders and everything you need in order to bring about his purposes. He is a wonderful counselor. He's exactly what you need. And he has all of the resources and power to get you to where you need to go and tell you what you need to know and guide you in the way that you should go He is a wonderful counselor. Here's what the Bible says about this wonderful counselor. His eye is upon you. This wonderful counselor, the one who is wonderful, who is perfect, who is fantastic, who is exactly what we need. His eye is upon us. Psalm 32, verse 8. He will counsel us with his eye upon us. He guides us with his counsel, the Bible says, and then receives us to glory. His eye is upon you the one who brings light to darkness and harvest and victory from anguish and gloom, this wonderful, power-working God, His eye is upon you. Listen to some other of the ways the Bible says about our God. He leads us. He leads us beside still waters. He leads us in what is right and which was good and which restores our soul. So his eyes upon us, he leads us, he guides us. The psalmist says, you are my rock and my fortress and for your name's sake, you lead me and guide me. He directs us just as he directed the people of God with the, with the fire and the cloud to guide them by day and night through the land. He still guides us by his spirit this very day. He guides us. He directs us. The Bible says he goes before us. This God whose eye is upon you, he listens to us. He hears us. The Bible says when we call upon the Lord, he will hear our cry. The Bible says he understands us, for he knit us together in our mother's womb. We are fearfully and wonderfully made, and wonderful are his works, and this knowledge is too wonderful for us. The wonderful counselor knows you and his eye is upon you. He knows that darkness that you're struggling with. He knows that hope that seems so fleeting in your life. The wonderful counselor knows for his eye is upon you. Something else about this wonderful counselor, not only is his eye upon you, leading, directing, guiding, listening, understanding, knowing you. His counsel is perfect. This wonderful counselor needs no counselor. You see, in those days, the king would have a counselor in order to help lead and guide him. Here, Isaiah promises a king that will not need a counselor, but will be the counselor himself. Romans says it like this, who knows the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid. From him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever and ever. He is the perfect counselor, we do not need to improve his counsel. We have no business telling God what is wise, what is good, what is right, what is wrong. He is our counselor. We are not his. The Messiah has no counselor. He is wisdom. He is the wisdom of God to us. He is wonderful. We can trust. Listen to me good here. We can trust where he is leading. His eye is upon us. He leads and guides us. He needs no counselor. He knows the end from the beginning. We can trust. Let's start thinking of some application here. Where he is leading and how he will get us there. Understand the darkness that he spoke into in Isaiah's day and made this promise to them that he will send a son. And understand the darkness that he spoke into our own hearts And promise never to leave us or forsake us. This wonderful counselor who is able because he is wonderful and wonder-working and can get us where we need to go and is wise enough to get us there and knows where we should lead and where we should go and we can trust where he is leading and we can understand and we can trust, we can know where he's leading. Excuse me, let me try this again. We can trust where he's leading. And we can trust that He will get us there even when we don't know how. He is wise. Imagine the people in Isaiah's day. Do they understand? Can they imagine how all the pieces will fit together some 700 years later? No. We worry about the details of our own lives the moments the days the weeks the years much less 700 years and sometimes we wonder can we trust this counselor i don't see how all the pieces fit together have you ever been paralyzed by the details of your life you can trust the wonderful counselor who has a plan and who is wonder working and able to get you there he does what is right and his purposes will be accomplished, and he will lead, guide, direct, listen. He understands you, his eye is upon you, and he will get you there. And not only that, he will keep you from stumbling. He not only does what is right, he does what is good. Even when we don't see how all the pieces fit together, he is a wonderful counselor that you can trust. As I say week in and week out, there is no problem too small, no burden too heavy that he's not unable or unwilling to carry it for you. He cares about you deeply. All that baggage that you have, he says, I will take that from you and carry it for you. He's a wonderful counselor. He's not a counselor we go to in this world and give advice, but they are unable to carry that burden upon you. They may be able to give you some very helpful direction through it, but this counselor will bear the burden for you and never leave you or forsake you. And not only that, but he knows you better than you know yourself. He knows you personally. He will diagnose you properly. He will lead you precisely. And you can trust him To deliver you powerfully. He is a wonderful counselor. So here is the promise. Here is hope. In times of darkness and gloom and anguish, brother and sister, you are never without hope. Even when you don't see how all the pieces fit together of your small life, you can trust the wonderful counselor. And you can trust this promise in Isaiah chapter 9 that as he was working through all of history to bring about the fullness of time for God sent his son to die for us, to save us from from our sins, he will withhold nothing good from you because this counselor is wonderful. This counselor will come to you. He will shine light in your darkness. He will come to find you. He will comfort you. He will walk beside you. He will counsel you in his word, but with the help of a spirit, he will direct you, guide you, lead you, and never forsake you. That is a wonderful counselor. That is hope. And that is Christ. This is who Christ is. The bottom line, we see the triumph of God's grace over our failure. We see a people who are looking for counsel in all the wrong places and have Christ come to them, God come to them. And for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. Let's pray.